Amen and amen. Well, thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Stephen. If you'll make your way out of the service tonight, stop by the table and look at their CDs. The, what we're taking in on the CD sales is actually going to help a young man get a tombstone, uh, a preacher in Montana. So you you go by and, and be a part of what God's doing there. We're excited about what God's going to do tonight in the service. We thank the Lord for the privilege to preach. And you coming tonight, I know y'all have the recovery going on next door, and so some of the folks are over there. And uh, I appreciate that kind of ministry. Amen. That's a great ministry. Thank the Lord for it. I appreciate uh, a ministry where you'll try to reach people that that the devil has tried to destroy their lives. And uh, I, I appreciate recovery ministry. And I, I, any church that tries to help people with hurts, hang-ups, and habits, uh, I, I think God smiles upon that church because the Bible said that he's, he, he came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to set at liberty those that were bruised. And there's some bruising and there's some captives in that uh, recovery ministry. And I thank God for that. Thank God for the workers that work that. It takes a lot of workers to do that. It takes money to do that. And I appreciate all of what goes into that through the local church and through what you're doing here to reach people in this community. And my, what a ministry you have. Uh, through the outreach in the community. I, I, every time I ride into town, I see that clinic on the right-hand side as I'm coming in from the, uh, from the north, headed down south, and think about all of the young ladies and the babies that could have been aborted but were, were, were uh, encouraged to either keep the baby or adopt the baby out. And my, what a ministry that is. And I know God smiles upon that because I, the Bible said that, that, that when a baby is conceived, I believe according to Matthew 18, they are assigned an angel. And the Bible said that their, their, their angels do behold the face of the Father. And I believe that little baby in that womb has been assigned an angel at conception. And I believe that angel will go through that with that baby all the way. And I believe if it comes down to the catastrophic event that there's an aborted situation, I just, I, I can't, can't help but believe Jesus descends from heaven and takes that little baby back up into glory. You with me? Say amen. Because they're precious in his sight. Amen. And so I thank God for that ministry. Thank God for your clothing ministry. Thank God for your mercy house. And thank God. And, and I just want to tell you, Rayford Road, keep doing right. Keep doing the things that, that sometimes almost seems like it's hard to do, but it's right. And God honors it. And God will honor it. And one day when you stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, you'll be so glad that you sacrificed in these areas. Say amen. And I have to remind myself of that on the road. Sometimes it get weary. Sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we get bad news. You know, just because we're a preacher and we preach the hoopla all the time does not mean we live under a cloud too. And uh, God has to give us strength to keep fighting the good fight of faith daily. And this has been a difficult week for me, not, not for me to go into any detail, but we've had to fight uh, this week, some some anxieties and some uh, some attacks of hell. I mean, things that I if I told you, it'd blow your mind. And uh, but I thank God that we can bear up underneath the load triumphantly. Are you with me? Say Amen. I'm glad we can be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. And when we get to heaven one day, we'll say, "Thank God, we persevered." Thank God we plowed on. Thank God we under the unction of God I preached on and praised on. Hallelujah. I just want to tell the church
church tonight. Just keep on doing what you're doing and watch God keep on blessing. Say amen tonight. Amen. Well, I want to preach to the church tonight, amen. Look at Genesis 49. Stand with me. Let's look at this together. Read a few verses of scripture. The Bible says in Genesis 49 and 1, Jacob the patriarch is 147 years old. He's getting ready to die. The Bible says in verse 1, And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you the things of that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear you sons of Jacob and hearken unto Israel your father. Then he begins to talk to his sons directly. I'm going to, I'm only going to deal with four of his sons tonight. He had 12, but I want to show you what he said to four of them. Verse three, Reuben, Thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength. The excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Boy, I'm sure Reuben would, if he could, say, I wish that was all that was ever said and recorded. But his daddy didn't stop there. His daddy said in verse 4, Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. Because thou wentest up to thy father's bed and defilest thy lit. He went up to my couch. I, I just happen to believe that old patriarch probably leaned up on his staff with his eyes dim. And he looked at his, his other children. He said, he, he, he went up to my couch. Then he turned to Levi. And Simeon, verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. Oh, my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly, mine honor. Be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man. And in their self-will they digged down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce. And their wrath, for it was cruel, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And then he turned to Judah. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall be the gathering of the people be. Binding his foal unto the vine and his ass's colt unto the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, and his clothes he dipped or his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. Now when you read this, you, you on the surface initially you scratch your head and you say, boy, there's a lot there. What was he trying to say? But every one of these kids that gathered around the foot of his bed knew exactly what he was saying. And I want to stop for just a minute and tell you that sin is a dangerous thing. And if sin is undealt with, there will come a day for the child of God that you and I will have to face it. 
If God lets it go, you will stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ and you will give an account of what you did. But we do know that God is a just God and God is a, is a good heavenly father and he deals with his children as sons. But what I want to do tonight is I want to talk about the sin nature that dwells and is, is capable of dwelling and striking any one of us at any time. And I want to talk to you about what you and I can anticipate one day when we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. I want to preach tonight on the judgment seat of Jacob. And I want to try to make a parallel tonight between the judgment seat of Jacob and what you and I will face one day before the judgment seat of Christ. With that in mind, I want to pray and ask God to help me. I want to try to be a help to the church. I want to try to be a help to the body. I believe believers have showed up tonight. So let's reason together and let's pull in and talk about this from the word of God. Can we do that tonight? Say amen. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I sense your anointing flowing already. I sense your, 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 your seriousness of what you're trying to say to us tonight. So I pray, God, as a preacher, that you won't let me stammer or stumble. But, God, you'll let me preach with power. God, let me preach with brokenness tonight. God, would you let me preach with understanding? Oh, God, would you make the scripture clear tonight? Lord, don't let us leave scratching our heads saying, what, what did the evangelist try to say to us? Oh, God, make it clear that it's a message from heaven for the church and for all of us inclusively. Oh, God, I thank you tonight for the examples of the word of God and the power that we have when we preach this book. And I pray, God, that power will be upon me, will preach through me and to the pew tonight, and we'll thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, you may be seated. When you look at this portion of scripture, as I've already told you, Jacob is 147 years of age. Joseph is 56 years of age, and Benjamin, the youngest, is 39. Ja Jacob now has come to the end of his days. He has lived a full life. God has let him experience things along the journey. And of course, you know, Jacob's life was not always the best to be told. I mean, he lived a deceptive life and how God brought him out of that and changed him. We talked a little bit about that on Sunday morning. But now Jacob's an old man and he, he summons his 12 children to his bedside and he brings them in and as he's bringing these boys in, he's gonna do something that for some of them will be the hardest hour of their entire life. For some of them it'll be their crowning moment. For some of them, it'll be a time when, when they will hear words that, that for a long time they've anticipated hearing and, and they hear the words come from their daddy. You see, in this portion of scripture, we find that there were some of these boys that were disqualified. We'll find that there were some of these boys that were distinguished. And we'll find that some of these boys were just plain different. But what I want to do is I want to just focus, instead of trying to preach all 12, because it would take the rest of the night to preach on these 12 boys, let me just pull the first three out and talk to you about the judgment seat of Jacob. Now, what does this have to do with the church? I know this is Old Testament. This is Genesis 49. And you say, preacher, we're not even in the dispensation of this yet. This is talking about Old Testament Israel. Well, it's a picture, a tight picture of what you and I can anticipate one day in, in, in the future as we stand before what we call the judgment seat of Christ. You do know there are three judgments as believers we face, are facing, or will face. We are, one number one, we're, we're judged as a sinner in the past. That's what took place at Calvary. I heard about this one guy, he was running across this prairie and it had caught on fire and these two men were trying to get away from the fire and as they were scurrying across the prairie, one of them fell down and twisted his ankle. 
The other guy who was on the ground said, I can't get up, you need to go or you'll be killed. The other guy said, I'm not leaving you here and he reached over and he struck a match and he started a fire on the opposite side. Now they got fire raging to them and fire raging away from them and the guy said, you're fool, you old fool, you've killed us both, at least you could have gone to safety. He said, oh no, 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 watch this. In a few minutes the fire burned away from them and there was a black crisp spot and he rolled the boy with a hurt leg on the burnt spot and he said this, he said, you see the fire cannot come where the fire has already been. Can I get a witness? Say amen. Can I tell you that 2,000 years ago at Calvary when Jesus died on the cross, he died for sinners and when it was appropriated and applied to my life and I was considered justified, I was rolled off on the burnt spot and I'll never have to suffer that judgment again. Why? Because my name's written in the Lamb's book of life. I'll never be judged as an unbeliever because I am saved. I've been judged as a sinner in the past. Can I get a witness? Say amen. But we're also being judged in the present as sons. You see, God don't let us just run high, wide, and handsome. God deals with us on a daily basis. In our sin, God will convict us. In our sin, God will scourge us. In our sin, God will rebuke us. But we're also going to be judged in the future as a steward or a servant of what we did for Christ in the body from the day we were saved until the day we die or we get raptured before the throne of God. The truth of the matter is, when you look at this, this is a tight picture of you and I standing standing before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says that, that in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Talking to believers, that every man may give an account of the things he's done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. Romans 14 and 12 also teach that Jesus said, every one of you will give an account of your life. There is a reckoning day coming. And when you look at Genesis 49, it is a picture that these boys had lived a full life, but they were going to stand before the reckoning day of their daddy. Can I stop and tell you tonight, God wants you to stand before him clean. He wants you to stand before him right. But I want to look at three examples as we look at the word of God. You want to hear tonight say amen. I see, first of all, as you look at this portion of Scripture, we see, first of all, in this story, a man who covered his sin. We see a man who covered his sin. Let's look at three aspects of this man for a minute. Number one, let's look at his station. Can't you hear him as, as the boys come piling into the room and they're saying, what's daddy want? And daddy's saying, listen, boys, I want to talk to y'all about things that are going to happen to you in the last days. In other words, from this day forward, I'm going to lay some prophecies down. From this day forward, I'm going to say some things that you can go ahead and put in the bank because they will happen. And, and his daddy says, now I want to talk first of all to Reuben. Can't you see Reuben beaming? Because he knew he was the firstborn. I mean, he knew that everything rightfully would be rolled on him from daddy because it was always transferred to that firstborn child. And so Reuben stands there with his, with his head up and his chest poked out and, and then daddy began to talk about Reuben's position in the family and Reuben's station as the firstborn child. Here's what he said about him. Look at what he said about him in verse number three. He said, Reuben, thou art my firstborn. Can't you see Reuben beaming and his head popped up and his chest poked out and his face is full of pride because his daddy called him, called his name. He's the first one there. He began to talk to him. He said, Reuben, you're my firstborn. You're my might. 
He said this. He said, you are the beginning of my strength. He said, you're the first one, Reuben. He says, you're the one that God gave me first. He said, you are the one that God put in my hands first to be the, the, the head and the leader. Look at what the Bible says here. He said, the beginning of my strength and the excellency of dignity. He said, your position is one of dignity, son, and the excellency of power. Can't you see, Reuben, how excited he was when, when his daddy talked about his station? Hey, can I stop and tell you? Every one of you tonight here ought to feel privileged if you're saved because the Bible said, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Are y'all with me say amen? Ain't you glad that God adopted you, brought you into the family, and he allowed you to get in? Can I get a witness say amen? We ought to be proud that God is our father and we are his children. We are the sons of God. Say amen. But quickly, let's move from his station to his sin. The Bible said his daddy's countenance probably changed in the story because he, he changed the whole the tone of the, of, the, of, the, of the setting. The Bible said here he looked at him and said, unstable as water. How shocking that was. I mean, he just elevated the boy. He just exalted the boy. Now he looks at him and says, Reuben, let me tell you. Let me tell you what I see in your life. I see water. And you know, water is one of those elements that when it's poured, it always seeks the lowest level. By the way, if you pour, pour water in a pot, it's going to seek the lowest level. And if you heat water, it's going to boil. If you put water in a freezer, it's going to freeze. If you, if you take water and put it over a stove, it will evaporate eventually. Here's what he said to Reuben. He said, you're not even, he said, you, you seek the lowest parts of life. He said, he said, you should be the one of dignity, the one of strength and the one of honor. He said, but you're so unstable. You're like water. You're, whatever the temperature is, is what you are, son. Can't you see him as he stands there thinking, why, Daddy, are you saying this to me? And then Daddy took it another step further because he goes from his station to his sin. He says, I want to tell you the reason why you're so unstable as water. He said this in verse number four, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed and defilest thou it, he went up to my couch. I got to thinking about this. First time I read this, I said, I said, Lord, now, now what, what is he talking about here? He's talking about defiling his couch. And, and you know, you have to kind of read the Bible to read the Bible to understand it. And I went back to Genesis 35 and I found out the reason why he said what he said. His father had actually gone on a journey according to Genesis chapter 35. And the Bible says in that particular story, he had been on a journey and it says that in verse 21 of chapter 35, and it said Israel journeyed and, and spread his tent beyond the tower of of Edar. And it came to pass in verse 22 of chapter 35 that he dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. While Israel was on a journey, this boy's flesh got out of control. This boy's hormones began to rage to the point that he could not even control himself, that he stepped up, he went across the line, fleshly, a line, but then he went another step. He went across the family line. I mean, literally went into his stepmother and laid with her. Now listen to me. I know you say that's gross and that's morbid and, and man, I could never imagine anybody doing it. But let me tell you something. If you don't let your sin, listen to me, get dealt with at Calvary and it gets out of control, it will drive you to do things that you will be so ashamed you'll have to bury your head in a public setting. 
This boy did something that was despicable. It was defiling. It was dishonoring to the daddy. It was dishonoring to the woman. But he went in and he slept with her. But here's the kicker. I read this and it it really shook, shook me to my core. And it said, Israel heard it. Now he wasn't in the other room. He didn't hear it that way. He got wind that it happened. But for 40 years, he never said a word. Could you imagine how that was for 40 years? Could you imagine in that setting for 40 years, every time they sat at the table, he knew exactly what that boy had done? I mean, every time they sat down to talk as a family, he would look across there and know exactly what that boy had done and exactly what that woman had done. But for 40 years, he did not say anything. You say, why? Why wouldn't he just bring it out? Why wouldn't he deal with it? Why wouldn't he bring it to the service? I'll tell you the reason why. It's because he's a picture of God the Father. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I believe he was giving that boy space to repent for 40 years He gave him opportunity to get right. And for 40 years, the boy buried it. The boy hid it. The boy tried to conceal it. And one day was the reckoning day when daddy said at 147 years old, come to my room and I want to reveal something. You have sinned against me. Can I stop and tell you something? It's a sad commentary that that's the way it is in most churches in America. We come to church. Oh, listen to me. Y'all like it when I'm preaching. But can I preach all the counsel? Say amen. Y'all know me well enough to know I'm an encourager. I'm I'm an exhorter. I try to encourage the body. But this is the only way I know to do it is preach the word of God. You and me say amen. Somebody's walked in here tonight and you're hiding something in your tent. You're hiding something underneath that little little layer of deception in your life. And here. And by the way, this is so fresh and so real, even in our own lives today, as I think about events that have swelled around in the last few days, how how easy sin can enter in and deception can come in and and it can be hid and tucked away and and lied about and and done away with. That's what sin does. And Satan has put a bull's eye on the back of Rayford Road Church. Why? Because he don't like the fact that y'all are rescuing babies that ought to be aborted by the standards of the world and by the standards of life. He don't like the fact that y'all are trying to reach drug addicts and and people that have been drugged through the mud of life. He's drawn a bull's eye on your back. And here's what he'll do. If he can't bring the church down, he'll begin to work internally in the body and he'll get you to where you start sinning and deceiving yourself and thinking you've got away with it. And you'll come to church, you'll sing songs, you'll shout with the preacher, you'll give an offering in the offering plate, you'll teach us Sunday schools, but if you're not careful, God is going to eventually say it's reckoning time. For 40 years, he knew it. A man who covered his sin. His daddy turned to him after he gave his sin, and he said, I want to give you a sentence. He said, because you're not willing to deal with your sin. Because you drug it out for 40 years and tried to hide this most despicable act. He said, thou shalt not excel. Say, well, did he? (laughs) Well, history tells the story. Let me tell you what happened to Reuben. Can I do that? Say amen. 
I was reading this just before church tonight. Listen to what happened to Reuben. Here's what happened to Reuben. The tribe of Reuben receives very little mention in Israel's history. The tribe of Reuben, not, you'll not find one single judge, one single prophet, one single ruler, one single military leader, and no important person ever came out of Reuben. As a matter of fact, here's what you'll find about Reuben. Reuben was often found on the wrong side of conflicts. In, in Judges 5, the Bible said their heart was divided. They didn't know whether to fight with the enemy or with their brethren. They were always on the wrong side of conflicts. They, they never chose the right thing. They never, they never made the right decisions. They were always toying in life. Why? Because the prophecy had been given by the Father. Because Reuben would not deal with his sin. He would never excel. Oh, he'd be mediocre. He would just get by. He would barely make it. That's the way some people are tonight. You're barely getting by. But can I tell you, ain't you glad we're not living in Old Testament economy, but we're living under the grace of God? and the mercy of heaven because if you're willing to confess your sin and pull that thing you've got buried up out of the tent and show it to God he already knows it anyway God may exhibit mercy God may give forgiveness and who knows what God will do in your future say amen let me tell you what else happened to Reuben you remember the sons of Korah the ones who rose up against the man of God while he's leading them through the promised land, you know who they originated from? The loins of Reuben. Do you know what else happened to him? The tribe of Reuben, if you'll look in the scriptures, never did excel throughout the Old Testament. Here's what I want to stop and ask you a question. Are you hiding something tonight? I mean, is there some sin that you've been trying to just keep to yourself? Well, see, this kind of preaching does one of two things. It either makes you drive yourself further in deception, or it brings you out of the shadows and say, you know what, God, you've got my number tonight. And the truth of the matter is, here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to come to an altar. I don't need to know about your sin. This preacher don't need to know about your sin. There's one mediator between God and man Men, the man Christ Jesus. He's not a little guy with a beanie cap inside of a, a, a booth. Are you with me? That's not him. As a matter of fact, the only time that other people need to be involved is when it's public sin or it's affected someone. Then you have to confess it and get it right and many times have to go to the person about it. I'm telling you, friend, this preaching right here does not evoke the people to pull the wall out and give a big offering. You women say amen. But it will do one or two things. It'll cause you to either get right, get out of neutral, and confess some things that you've got tucked away in your heart or you begin to try to coddle them and say he's not talking to me and I'm not giving this up. I'm not confessing this, this is too convenient, this is too comfortable, this is too consuming and the truth of the matter is it will consume you listen I've been in this thing a long time I've seen men of God fall I've seen people in the church that had God's anointed on them fall and by the grace of God there I can be tonight, the truth of the matter is I'm not castigating and pointing fingers but I'm saying this we better deal with the sin and not try to cover it in Jesus name you cover your sin and the Bible said be sure your sin will find you out we can have testimony after testimony, after testimony tonight about how that sin is a killer. Let me show you what the Bible says here. 
We see, first of all, in the story, a man who covered his sin. But second of all, tonight we see, number two, men that were controlled by their sin. Now, the daddy leaves Reuben. I'm sure Reuben's over there by himself wondering, man, what a shocker. Can't you imagine as he, he daddy said that, everybody turned to him and said, how despicable that you would sleep with your stepmother. That's what sin will bring you to. It'll bring you to shame. It'll bring you to embarrassment. It'll bring you to humility. Can't you see Reuben as he slinks back in the corner with his head hung thinking, I've ruined it. We got another situation that comes up. Look at what he says here in verse five. Are y'all with me? Say amen. (laughs) Are we having fun in church tonight yet? Say amen. The Bible says in verse number five, he says he turns to Simeon and Levi and he said, brethren, your instruments of cruelty are in your habitation. And then he said in verse six, oh, my soul, come not thou into their secret, under their assembly, mine honor. In other words, boys, you gave my honor away. Be not thou united for in their anger. In other words, don't join up with this crowd because they're mean. Did you hear me? He said this, for in their anger, they slew a man. And in their self-will, they dig down a wall. In other words, cursed be their anger, for it was fierce and their wrath, for it was cruel. And I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in the land of Israel. And you know what he said? He looked at these two boys and he said, you are the meanest boys I got. You know what? You know what I found? Church people are mean. Y'all with me say amen. You can get hurt worse in a church than you could ever get hurt on a workplace. You know what I'm saying? There's something about us. When we get mad at each other Sunday, something comes out of us that just, it's, it's, I mean, hell belches up all of the anger and wrath and fury it can get inside of us whenever we get mad with each other. And I had one incident one time when my boy got in a fight with somebody else's boy at a church many years ago. He was a young thing, and they had gotten to a fist fight in the church parking lot. We grabbed the boy up and grabbed the other boy up, went into the office and sat down. And here's what the other parent said to me, and it was so profound. I said, I'm going to remember that. He said, you know what? These two boys are forgive each other tomorrow and be playing in the yard. And, and, and if we're not careful, me and you'll keep this anger for the next 50 years. He said, they'll get over it quicker than we will. You ever been hurt by somebody? I mean, some of y'all been hurt by maybe an ex-husband or an ex-wife. Maybe you got hurt by something one of your children said to you. Maybe you were in a situation where a pastor or a, or a leader or somebody said something to you that was so demeaning and so hateful and so hurtful that you're still rocking and reeling and rolling over. There's anger and self-will. You know what these boys did? They were doing the right thing, but they did it the wrong way. Let me tell you the story of what happened to them. You'll find the story of these boys in Genesis 34. Let me tell you what happened. In Genesis 34, the Bible says that there was a, uh, 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 there was a young lady, their sister named Dinah, and a boy by the name of Shechem of a different tribe, a different group of people that fell in love with this girl, and the Bible says that he raped her. Well, Dinah comes home and says, I've been raped. Oh, yeah, let me tell you something. When it comes to your house, 
Let me tell you, I don't, I, I don't really care who you are, but, but you know when it comes to your house, there's something about that, that, that indignation that rises up in you. I mean, your daughter comes home and says, I've been raped. What do you want to do? You want to go find the guy that raped her and kill him. Are you with me? Say amen. And any daddy that didn't have that feeling in his heart is a liar or he's a wimp. Are you with me? Say amen. These boys were absolutely livid over it. It wasn't long until Shechem's daddy comes and tries to ask for, for this girl's hand in marriage to this boy because he claims he loves her. And they said the only way we'll agree to it is that the entire tribe, these two boys contrived this, the entire tribe gets circumcised. Well, they thought, man, that may benefit us more than many other ways. It's a little painful at the time, but if we do that, they'll let us start intermarrying because they got some pretty girls on that side of the field. And, uh, and that they agreed to it, and these boys waited till three days they were in their soreness and rose up and attacked and slaughtered the entire region of those people. You know what the daddy said to these boys right at the end of that escapade? Right at the end of it, look at what the daddy said to these boys at the end of chapter number 34. Here's what the daddy said to these boys in verse 30. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me and I shall be destroyed. I and my house. Here's what daddy was saying. Boys, you should have never took matters in your own hands. You were mean. You were cruel. You were unkind. You never should have done that. You know these boys responded back and said the same thing that most people say when they do something in their anger and they feel justified in doing it. They said, should he deal with our sister? That's with a harlot. And that was the last thing they said. And for the next 30 years, they never repented I was listening to David Gibbs David Gibbs many of you know who he is he's that that lawyer that that helps churches with legal matters he was telling a story about how one morning he got up and he had gone down to a to get on an airplane in Alabama he got there real early in the morning so the flight was leaving at six so it said he had to leave and get there by three in order to get through all the the terminals and the security and the Ebola checks now that's another sermon in itself. He said he got there and he was already a little bit tired and frustrated. And he walked on there and said it was a new, new airplane and the seats were different. And he said they were even smaller than the ones he typically rides on. He said when he got in there, he was, he was trying to get down to that. And the stewardess was standing there and he said, he said, these, these seats are puny. He said, literally, they were so small that if the guy in front of you leaned back, you could actually do dental work in his mouth. And he said he was just griping and complaining. He said, these seats are, are so small. And, and he said, the, the stewardess looked at him and said, well, if you'd lose some weight, you'd be able to fit in them. He said, it just hit him wrong. He said he turned to her and looked and he said, you know, let me tell you something. You are the most cosmetically challenged woman I have ever seen in my life. And with that, she ran down the aisle and tears running down her face because she was so embarrassed that he'd been so rude to her. Or she had been rude to him. But in turn, he'd been rude to her. He said the guy sitting next to him said, hey, could you repeat that? That's pretty good. I want to I use that myself sometime. 
He said, I'm feeling pretty good because I just told this stewardess off and he said, he said, I'm taking my jacket up now and I'm rolling it up trying to put it in the overhead bin and when I did, he said some tracks fell out on the seat. He said, and the Holy Ghost spoke to him and said, probably not a good time to give her one of those right now. He said, as he picked those tracks up, he broke. He realized what he had done was wrong. And he said, I began to make my way down that aisle. He said, it was real, real awkward because I'd have to step in and let somebody buy and I'd step out. He said, it was quite a chore. And he said, I finally got up to where she was and she was standing there with her back turned to me. He said, and he said, talking to two other stewardess ladies and and he said, he said he stood behind her and he said, ma'am, can I speak to you? And she turned around with tears running out her face. She said, I think you've said enough already. He said, I understand that, that you probably don't want to hear what I got to say, but I've got to say this. He said, what I did a while ago broke the heart of God. He said, my, he said, my religion forbids me to act the way I acted toward you. And he said, I would understand if you're not interested in taking one of these, but I, I want to ask you, first of all, would you... Forgive me? She said, mister, I've been a stewardess for 40 years and nobody's ever for one time ever asked me to forgive them. He said, but I am. He said, would you forgive me? And he said, if you would, would you take one of these? He said, he handed her one of those and the other two stewardesses now are kind of listening and looking and as he's getting ready to walk off, he said, the other stewardesses said, hey, hey can we have one of them? Can we look at one of those you got there? He said he handed two other to the other two stewardesses, made his way and sat back down. And he said he took his flight. And he said when he got ready to get off the flight, he said he, he saw the captain standing there and he's making his way down the aisle. And he, he heard the captain say to the stewardess standing next to him, is this the guy? He thought, oh, Lord, I'm fixing to get lamb blasted by the captain. And when he got to the captain, he said, sir, I want to shake your hand. He said, the stewardess told me what happened and how you responded to that. And he said, it's, so, it's so, so genuine to know that there's another believer on board this plane. Hey, can I tell you, we don't always do it right, do we? In our anger, we say things we ought not to say and we do things we ought not to do and we retaliate in our own flesh. But you know what God's really looking for out of you and me? He's looking for the fact that we're human and that we're willing to acknowledge that we're human. And you know what? It may change when you go back to that ex-wife and say, you know what? I treated you mighty bad in that courtroom or I, I said some things to you I shouldn't have said or, or maybe to that child or that person or that one that you did wrong. Hey, listen to me. I know this is easier preached than live, but the truth of the matter is that's where God wants to bring us and these boys never succumbed to that. They never came to a place to admit their anger controlled them to the place that it caused deadly ruin among others and you don't realize your anger is a hidden work and it turns into malice and it turns into an outburst. Hey, the truth of the matter is these boys had to face daddy's wrath. He said, I will scatter you among Israel. What happened to these boys? Can I tell you what happened to them? Well, you'll find out that Simeon became the smallest tribe in Israel, according to Numbers 26. You'll find out that when Moses pronounced a blessing on Israel, Simeon was omitted, never even mentioned. You'll find this, you'll find that when Simeon was forced to share his territory with Judah, and he didn't have much, but he was forced to share it with Judah during his kingdom years. 
By the time of King Josiah, the tribe of Simeon was numbered with Manasseh, Ephraim, and Naphtali. The, the tribe had been broken up and scattered into three different tribes. Exactly what God said would happen through the daddy happened. Levi, by the way, was also scattered, but there was some measure of repentance because in, in Exodus 32, when Moses said, who's on the Lord's side, you know, spoke up. Levi said, I'm on the Lord's side. It was demonstration there was repentance somewhat in his life. And, and we find out that Levi, though he didn't get a lot of land, he was given designated places called the cities of refuge across the country. Hey, the truth of the matter is, you can't sin with importunity and get by with it because it will catch up with you one day. And if you got anger and you got unforgiveness, you ought to throw it down on the altar and pick up your spiritual track and go find that person that you've hurt deadly and you've hurt and wounded. Y'all to say, I'm sorry I ever did it. Can I get a witness? Say amen. We see not only a man who covered his sin, we see men who were crushed by their sin, but we see thirdly a man who was crowned because of the confession of his sin. Can I show you the third one? Let's look at this together. Are you with me? Say amen. Genesis 49, this is the last one, verse 8. Um, I love this one. Judah, now watch what he says. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son. Thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion, as an old man who shall rouse him. Look at verse number 10. I love this. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. You know, that's a prophecy of, that's a prophecy of Jesus. Can I get a witness? Say amen. He said, until Shiloh come. He said then, and unto him, talking about the, the coming of Shiloh, shall the gathering of the people be. Verse 11 is the key to the text. Binding his foal unto the vine and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes and the blood of grapes. Let's stop for a minute. We come to a man who confessed his sin and he was crowned, but Why? When the daddy turned to Judah, Judah was standing there thinking, oh my, if he starts bringing up my past, I'm in trouble. Because, hey, if you'll read the story in the book of Genesis, Judah was more wicked than every one of them. But not one word of his wickedness was ever brought up. Oh, this brings hope to the church tonight. Hey, can I preach something for a minute? Give us some hope. Can I get a witness? Say amen. This boy, let me tell you one, one of the despicable acts that he committed. Can I tell you just one of them? Number one, he married a woman who wasn't even of the same uh, of the tribe and lineage of him. I mean, he stepped out. He married somebody that he wasn't supposed to marry. Then when his wife did eventually die, he had a daughter-in-law named Tamar. And he had a son named Ur and a son named Onan. <laughs> Probably where they started the Onan generators. But anyway, Ur and Onan. And Ur had a, had a wife named Tamar. And Ur, the Bible said Ur was wicked and God smote him and killed him in Genesis 38. And, 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 and Judah went over to his other son Onan. He said, look, your oldest brother's died and we need to raise seed to Tamar. He said, go in and lay with your, your brother's wife and let her have a child so that the seed of, of Ur is continued and he didn't do it. 
And God smote him and killed him. And then he said to her, he said, well, wait, I've got one more son. He's not quite old enough. And when he's old enough, we'll raise seed up for your husband. And she put on the garments of widowhood. And one day, he was depressed. His wife had died. He went to go see one of his friends, the Adulamite of Hiram. While he was headed down there to go see them, she snuck out, took off the garments of widowhood, and put on the garments of a prostitute. He saw her and began to uh, make exchanges with her. And before it was over with, he, 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 had, he had made a deal to sleep with her. She says, she said, what do you give me? He said, I'll give you a kid or a goat from the flock. She said, what, what will you give to give proof that you'll come back and give it to me? He said, I'll give you the signet ring. And of course, he slept with her and she got pregnant and he never, never found her. The, the kid was never, the goat was never given to her, so the ring was never returned. And one day when she began to show, he began to condemn her. He said, she ought to be killed. She held up the signet ring. She said, the one who owns the signet ring is the daddy. And he hung his head in shame. That's the kind of man that we got standing before his daddy. But you'll never hear his daddy bring it up. As a matter of fact, here's what you find his daddy saying. His daddy's talking about his brethren bowing down to him. He's talking about his brethren, and he's talking about Shiloh coming from his loins, which is Jesus. It's a future prophecy of the Son of God coming from the loins of Judah. But he never once brought it up, and here's the reason why. Look at what the Bible says. It says the reason why in verse 11. He said, binding his foal unto the vine and his ass is cold to the choice vine. I'll come back to that. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. What is that a picture of? He, he got right with his daddy before this day ever came. Can I tell you the reason why I know that? I've got chapter 44 in the Bible. Chapter 44, he confessed everything to his daddy, one sin after the other. He stood before his daddy, he said, Daddy, I gotta get honest with you. And long before judgment day ever come in 49, he had had a chapter 44. Hey, can I tell you, the great thing about our God is, God is long suffering, he's patient, he's waiting on you to come. And if you're willing to get honest, and you're willing to kick your pride to the curb, and lay your heart open bare before God and say, God, I'm going to confess this sin to you. Listen, chapter 49's coming, but 44's been dealt with and you'll never hear it again in 49. Say amen. <laughs> Woo! That ought to make a Presbyterian right there want to get up and dance in the aisle. Can I get a witness? What, a, what hope do we have tonight? What encouragement does a body hear tonight? Here's what we hear. Here's a God that says to you and I, yes, you've messed up. Yes, you made some unwise choices. Yes, you've let your anger get the best of you. But lay it down before the feet of Jesus and at the judgment bar of God, he'll say, what sins are you talking about? I don't remember them. He says, as a matter of fact, you're gonna be strong as a lion. He said, you will leap upon your prey. He said, I'm going to so bless your life. I'm going to let your donkeys eat grapes instead of eating grass. Hallelujah. Say amen right there. Say, like what happened to Judah? Well, let me just tell you what happened. Here's the end of the story. Even though Judah was guilty of all those heinous sins and heinous things, 
Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says in Numbers 10, 14, he was the object of praise among his brethren. In fact, Judah would lead the nation of Israel as they marched through the wilderness. Listen, he would be a conqueror. He would be strong and courageous as a mighty lion. Judah would eventually become the largest of all the tribes. This guy was more wicked than Reuben, but he became bigger than Reuben. Why? Because God says you're standing taller when you're on your knees confessing to me than you are hiding your stuff under the tent. Kings will come from thy family. You know who came from the loin, the lineage of Judah? David and Solomon. He told him this. He said, Shiloh, the Messiah, the greatest king of all would come. And guess what? Jesus would be called the lion of the tribe of who? Judah. <laughs> Whoa. Hey, you know what? That makes me want to sign my Bible right there and shout. Amen. Judah would also be so prosperous that he'd be able to tie his donkey to the grapevines and allow him to eat grapes instead of grass because God was so going to bless his crops. He said, instead of feeding your donkeys grass, take them to the grapevines because you got more than enough. Why? Because there was a chapter 44. You go back and read 44 sometime, you'll see that Judah got right with his daddy. Here's my question to you. Are you willing to wash your garments in wine and the blood of grapes? You, you know what you know what we need to do tonight? We need to just get honest. Let's let's quit playing games. Let's quit let's quit acting religious. There's not one person in this building tonight that don't have something that needs to be laid to the feet of Jesus. And if you're that holy and righteous and spiritual and everything's going all right with you, would you, would you be willing to come lay hands on me and pray for me? Because I sure need it. I've been dealing with anger this week. I've been dealing with, if I get my hands on somebody, I'd kill them. I'm being real with you. Listen, friend. It rains on the just and the unjust. And we all go through it. Dr. Brown, his house burnt down in the middle of camp meeting and the news media met him at his house while it was burning down. They said, how do you feel, preacher, that your house is burning down? He said, it rains on the just and the unjust. It's just my time. Can I tell you that every one of us have got things we need to deal with? Let me tell you the severity of the Old Testament sins. Here's the severity of the Old Testament sins. Let me just give you this, and then we'll give you something good to go home with. Here's what the Bible says about Old Testament sins. In the book of Exodus, chapter 34, and verse 7, he said, Keep in mercy for thousands, forgiven iniquity and transgressions and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generations. Literally, he said, what you're doing is going to not only affect you, it'll affect your grand youngins and their children. But you can put a stop to that tonight. See, we're in New Testament economy. I believe you can come down here and say, God, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to ask you right now not to let my kids suffer for my sin. You say, wait a minute, your kids will suffer. Oh, yeah, you can live in sin. It'll affect those around you. 
Listen to what he said over in the book of Numbers. He said it again. In the book of Numbers chapter 14, when they sinned against God, listen, the Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty. He keeps repeating that. Visiting. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Listen to what he says again in Deuteronomy chapter number five and verse nine. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, talking about other gods. For I, the Lord your God, and a jealous God, visit the iniquity of the fathers unto the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Here's my question. Do we have to continually allow sin to affect everybody around us? No. We're in New Testament economy. Jesus died at Calvary. His blood was shed. They looked ahead to Calvary. We're looking back. And tonight we can come and say, God, I'm going to stand before you one day at the judgment bar of God. And I surely don't want this sin to be brought up. And I'm asking you to stop it before it affects the children and the grandchildren and everybody behind me. How many of you know that God will hear and answer prayers? Amen. I want you to do something with me tonight. I want you to think about if you were to stand before God, boom, before the judgment seat of Christ, what is it that he would say to you that would make you hang your head? Here's what I want you to do with that tonight. Don't tell me. Don't tell your neighbor. Don't tell your wife. Don't tell your kid. I want you to tell Jesus.